and welcome. My name is Robert Buckley and I'm Head of Relationship Development at Cornwall Insight. Today I'm joined by my colleague Ed Reed, who is Head of Training at Cornwall Insight. We're here today to have a chat about a very special anniversary that's come up in Cornwall Insight, namely 750 issues of our weekly Energy Spectrum report. For the last 16 years, Energy Spectrum has issued as a weekly every Monday covering the latest issues in energy policy, regulation, industry structure and markets, and is supported by a comprehensive daily bulletin. Through its pages, Cornwall Insight has tracked developments and is well-placed to comment on where we will be going in the future. Today, Ed and myself are going to look back to look forward and pick out some of the big issues that we have reported in Energy Spectrum, some of the big future changes we expect and how the energy sector may evolve. So we will particularly look back at 15 years of energy policy developments. We will look forward to 15 years of future energy policy, of course, in the light of the Energy White Paper and initiatives uh, issued just before Christmas 2020. And we will consider how long-term energy policy decisions really affect the sector and how many of the dynamics that are playing out today are the consequences of decisions that have been reported in former issues of energy spectrum. So, Ed, if we look back to Energy Spectrum 1 and the first issues of the bulletin, what were the big issues in energy policy that we were reporting at the time? Thank you, Robert, and uh, hello. Glad to be here uh, with you. Um, yes, yeah, so I suppose if we, if we, we take a little uh, trip back down to memory lane, looking at some of the uh, early editions of Energy Spectrum. I think it's quite uh, interesting and telling, actually, um, the subjects that uh, we covered and were concerning the market at the time, uh, just to sort of paint the picture, I guess, of what was nearly 16 years ago now. We saw the change in uh, trading arrangements, so so better was extended or introduced, which, which extended the bilateral contract market uh, design template across all of uh, all of Great Britain after it being introduced originally in England and Wales uh, 2001 I think it was so this is the the time at which we have the markets that we're now familiar with the market design we're now familiar with but also then looking at the policy aspects um that were concerning uh, policymakers and the markets as well at that time I think it was striking um we're talking about how the key program to support renewables uh, then renewables obligation were thought to be policies uh, being considered to make it more effective and more efficient obviously something that we're still collectively concerned with today security of supply uh, albeit framed around gas security of supply was was a major issue around 2005 and 6 as well uh, and again security of supply is is arguably one of those issues that has uh, certainly maybe evolved a little but um, hasn't hasn't gone away and interestingly perhaps certainly if from a personal point of view, uh, smart meters we were covering off 2005. Um, you know, that's <laughs> quite some time ago. Around why you know the technology was struggling to establish itself and what the benefits could have been for the market and for customers. And I think. And then one eye on the question you posed there, you know, policy decisions made at that point still have an enduring uh, impact on on the market and the arrangements we see today. Yeah, that's really interesting. So maybe you could pick out a couple of issues that have changed over time over over these 15 years. Well, I guess the they're, they're still very important issues. Uh, on the one hand, we, we're security of supply is one we can we can talk about. And um, 
The other one really around smart metering and and really the the, the data uh, side of it. But I think turning to security of supply first off, that was uh, you know in the early years of, of of energy spectrum, we were collectively looking at the depleting resources in the North Sea, the need to think about how we change uh, investment structures and regulatory uh, structures to incentivize investment in new infrastructure for importing gas. And actually, over the course of the period we're talking about, that, that's been one of the examples where well, the, market, we well, the market's worked, is not it? Because yeah, the investment absolutely. came forward and gas supplies in a, in a generally very benign international market have, have not been a problem. Absolutely. And then perhaps quite unheralded uh, success as well. And I think, I mean, it's it's interesting to see what your thoughts are, but the, the security supply angle now, I guess, we're, we're, we're looking at is much more around the power uh, the power side uh, of the of the energy mix, dealing with intermittency, uh, I guess, is the key uh, driver there. And that's, that's uh, right, that's right, Ed. And I, I think you can see that in these fifteen years, we've lost the main strategic gas storage asset that we had, rough gas storage, back in 2016-17. Uh, it, its um, exit from the market was a very low key event. Uh, and we've not really uh, touch touch woods. Uh, we we don't really seem to have noticed it not being there. Such has been the access to uh, global gas markets that we have to to date had. And it's quite striking that we've had various looks at whether we should have strategic gas storage in in the last 15 years and not taken anything forward. In contrast, on the electricity side, strategic mechanisms to ensure uh, availability of power have become a big feature of the market. Indeed, with the um, yes, the capacity market, I guess, is what you're you're pointing to there. Uh, Rob, and I think that is an, an interesting um, development at the time because I think, again, trying to tie this back to the early years of, of Spectrum and what we've observed over that period and with one eye on what that means for the coming 15 years, I think it's the role of the state here which has been interesting. So your point around the gas, the way that the, the, the challenge of the gas security supply question, I guess, was dealt with was there was a lot of work done, as we recorded in Spectrum over the uh, the first few years of Spectrum around whether or not it was a, a government intervention for strategic gas storage or, or, or let the market come forward with solutions. And, you know, we, we, we landed collectively on the, on, the, on the latter. And yet a few years later, um, so the early the early years of the last decade with the electricity market reform, you know, that we were then reporting on the question, as you say, around, well, what do we do about power security of supply? Is it strategic uh, capacity uh, mechanism? Is it a capacity market? So we've still sort of put the, wrap the word market around the capacity mechanism, really, that we have in electricity, but it very much is a, an intervention from the state, I guess, to encourage that security uh, or investment in security. We can argue about the efficacy of the program but I wonder now as we go into net zero now what your thoughts are and what we've observed as the role of government to bring forward you know the, the rules the frameworks and, and maybe even the money uh, well, to, well, to, to, to deliver. Yeah government has always played a, a very important role we we changed the uh, electricity trading arrangements in 2001 and then with uh, better in 2005 in a in a government led program 
something that, that made the new Labour manifestos way back in the day. And and that was all about injecting a competition into a perceived not very competitive generation market. And one of the things that they did do was they removed the previous capacity payment that there'd been. So in, in the end, we had about a decade uh, without a, a formal capacity element in the uh, wholesale power stack. Uh, before we went back to it. So good example there, Ed, of, of how policy views change uh, and, and how they can you know, re- resonate down the years. A, lo- a lot of the uh, interventions have been about uh, calling forward investments subsequently, uh, and, and that has often meant guaranteeing or underwriting costs that the market won't provide in one form or another. You know, we started with renewables. We, we, we've gone into capacity now on on the generation side, and it's a bit of a truism that, that people will say that you you can't for, call forward large scale uh, generation without some form of route to market or or or, or underwritten um, cash flow outside the wholesale power cost uh, because the, that the, that wholesale market can't send a signal to encourage investment and when we come to look at the market of the future the role of the whole of the price setting mechanism is going to be a very important question to what to what extent can the market provide that investment signal or have we moved to a world where that signal just cannot be provided by the market and something else needs to step in and who's going to set the something else and is the something else going to be you know, not wrong if if not right big decisions there and and pr- probably presaging a debate we may well be going into about the nature of our wholesale uh, energy market design you know, we have a bilateral contract market at the moment uh, that that was built around competition between big uh, fossil fuel generators designed to drive down the marginal cost. Uh, we're going to a world where we will have a lot of very low cost but intermittent uh, uh, generation, so low marginal cost most of the time. And um, does our market design best suit that? Uh, a big question, and, and and one certainly we would expect to come up for consideration in the coming years. Absolutely, and I think I think. I think where you're driving at as well, Robert, is that those those questions have begun to be asked actually for quite some time, albeit in a relatively quiet voice, if I could put it like that. But I think when you, I mean, by which I mean, when you look at some of the, the documents, again, that we've covered off um, over the life of, of Spectrum and actually are leading you know, with the benefit of hindsight quite neatly into the array of documents that were issued more recently around Christmas time. But but what I'm saying, I guess, is is that we saw uh, Project Discovery. Uh, we did. Uh, which was, uh, well, that was a decade or so ago. But it was uh, even then, you know, it was, they were talking around things like wholesale revenue stabilisation mechanisms to encourage yeah. investments into low carbon technologies. Well, that looked a lot like a contract for difference didn't it as, it, as that indeed. came out a few years later yeah. um but even then i remember setting that you know i think it was off gem that was setting the scene around five models of intervention in the market from you know very what was considered at the time very extreme and quite not, not laughable but but sort of approaches to intervention that nowadays we are having more discussions around as the net zero imperative means that no all, all bets um you know yeah it, it, indeed, it's, table, it's quite 
it's quite striking Ed, that we had the electricity market reform emr uh, approach of a decade ago that did everything but reform the electricity market it, it it added on a bunch of other interventions on top of the the fundamental better market design uh, arguably it, it, it allowed the dynamics to set by the better market to to continue uh, we, we've now gone to a world where the world that better was designed for is no more uh, and uh, as as you say uh, in the pages of spectrum uh, over the last two, three years, we've picked up more and more some of the challenges coming forward from some think tanks and from industry itself uh, about the nature of the market design. Because in, in the end, the, the market's about getting best value for producers and, and consumers. And if we get the market design wrong, that means that either somebody's under earning or somebody's overpaying. Absolutely, yeah. And I guess another one of the um, the areas of policy over this time period, as you mentioned, customers there, and I think smart meters is a is a good little case study here, is around how technology um, and interventions into the market to improve customer uh, customers' information, I guess, could should lead to more beneficial outcomes for the market as a whole. But of course, using um, that that smart meter as the nub, I guess, or the hub of driving forward more efficiencies and, and innovation, I think it's Without being too pessimistic, here we are, you know, 15, nearly 16 years after our first edition of Spectrum, where we're talking about smarter meters, and we're still, as an industry, you know, only partway through the completion of that, and, and still some way from actually realising the benefits, if they are there to be uh, realised. But, but but nonetheless, I think it's an interesting one around increasingly the role of data, isn't it? It, 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 in, is, in, it in is. In the system, and, and what role that could and should play, because I think it's something that has been relatively recent for the energy industry. Uh, maybe that's a... a, a reflects poorly on the industry when you when you think of others but it's only in the last few years that we've been seriously talking around the role of data be it personal data or actually more recently system data again through that lens of improving markets uh improving security of supply and the, and the big policy questions that, that haven't really um they've morphed they've changed but they haven't really gone away that's right, Ed, and, and wider attitudes to data, who owns it, so forth, have, have also changed. And I think the attitude w- within the energy sector, too, about what data reveals about consumers has also changed. When we started to talk about smart meters, a lot of effort was put into the benefits that would accrue to individual users from making changes to their consumption. We've also learned that if there are changes to consumption across a system that's socialized, if there are losses that are, that are revealed uh, as a result of cons- consumption changes that others can't adapt to, then uh, I think we've we've developed a different view as to whether uh, where the costs of those losses should go. We've got a, a much stronger view of what fairness is. Uh, in an integrated sector than, than maybe we had 15 years ago after the experience of, of many years of rising bills uh, often ironically caused because of rising costs of, of policy. Uh, so it's it's got a little bit circular uh, uh, and smart meters, as you say, remain something that's still yet to be properly fulfilled in terms of the gas and electricity sectors here in Great Britain. Yeah, and I suppose also then let, let's let's put the positives on this then that uh, over the next fifteen years, uh, when, when we'll be having another podcast, Robert, um, I'm sure in fifteen years' time to reflect on uh, how the last uh, these fifteen years have gone. 
that um, imperative now then for net zero uh, delivery, I guess. And actually, you know, you just mentioned they're talking about gas and electricity markets. Um, and I think it's, you know, something we obviously as a business and, and, and have done in Energy Spectrum. And one of the reasons we've launched the, the sister publication, Energy Net Zero, is how um, gas and electricity, which is our core focus 15 years ago, is, is increasingly morphing and changing and coalescing towards e-mobility. We talk about low carbon heat, but we talk about hydrogen. And increasingly, we're doing a number of things along that, uh, along those areas. And I think when you look at what came out from government before Christmas. We'd hope, Ed, that when we do this podcast in 15 years' time, we will, we will look back on the, you know, the Christmas of 2020, the spring of 2021, the, the, the COP26 uh, summit in November as as landmark events in you know the the framing of a fully net zero climate and energy policy that's certainly the ambition that's set out in the uh, white paper prime minister's 10 point plan the national infrastructure strategy very big work program has been set out of matters to be delivered if even a fraction of those commitments are to be fulfilled and, and and they're worth turning to in their own right, aren't they? Ed? If we if we look to where you know the sector is going to go over the next fifteen years, and and particularly with how investment's going to be called forward to deliver the forty gigawatts of offshore wind to deliver the carbon uh, capture and uh, usage and storage clusters uh, to. Uh, deliver floating offshore wind and and many of the other initiatives that have been set out. Indeed. And I think, yeah, I I just echo those points, I guess, Robert, is the, um, I think it's, it's, Collectively, we understand the scale of the challenge. And I think, yeah, the, those slew of documents you've, you've referenced there that came out around Christmas, I think will set the, the kind of reference point, one of those key turning points in 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 the sector. Because, as you say, it's all about really the, the realisation that it's not just, A, the level of investment that's required compared to what's gone before. It's, it's staggering, isn't it, when you think about what is required in terms of just, you know, bluntly pounds uh, that are required but equally the technological solutions or the societal solutions which are required which kind of in some regards make the last 15 years that we've observed and there has been fundamental change uh, to, to the sector in terms of how it's how it looks and who's in it and who's no longer in it but but almost look like makes it look like a walk in the park when we're talking about the the types of change there so i think you, it will be very you are interesting. you are right you are right there ed we have achieved significant decarbonization of the power system without terribly much fundamental change to the way consumers have used their power there have been rising costs for the power that is true and there have been consequences of those rising costs in terms of fuel poverty and industrial competitiveness but the the, the fundamental ability of the consumer to switch on or off their, their appliance as they require it has, has not been changed. Uh, if we go to look at the world of decarbonised heat, decarbonised transport, uh, you, you'll see that we need much more uh, and different technology to achieve some of these objectives. Some of it will get the consumer's imagination, as EVs seem to be doing, but there will be big hearts and minds challenges on others, particularly around the decarbonisation of heat and, and weaning the nation uh, off its uh, off its gas central heating. It will be a particularly big challenge to encourage consumers to pay or 
pay money to uh, swap out the heat source for perhaps not terribly much, if any, of an improvement in the day-to-day comfort that they enjoy. So consumer engagement and consent and even enthusiasm for this is is one of the big challenges. The challenge of hearts and minds is going to be a really big uh, feature of the, of the next 10 to 15 years. It needs to be if, we, if we're going to get anywhere near close to, to our target. Uh, and consumers have to want to be able to come on this journey. Yep, I agree with that. And uh, so it's no mean feat uh, for those that are in in places of responsibility to, to try and make, make that happen. But of course, uh, we at Cornwall Insight, um, we'll be there on the journey, tracking it through our publications. They themselves, of course, are going to evolve over the next uh, 15 years. Um, Indeed, yeah, we very much a, look a good, a to good point. Well, well made, Ed. We, um, we stand on the point of some very exciting developments within Cornwall Insight in, in terms of how we offer our insights and our services to customers. Certainly time to watch this space on that one, if nothing else. Well, thank you, Ed, for joining me today in that look back and look forward at the challenges of energy policy as seen through the pages of Energy Spectrum. If you'd like to know more, Energy Spectrum is our weekly insight bulletin, issues every Monday morning, comprehensively covering the latest developments and commentary on policy, regulation, industry structure uh, and markets, the the prism of energy policy. Trial subscriptions are available and there is more information on our website. And thank you, Robert. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. And of course, again, just to remind our our listeners that um, alongside our our, our newsletters that Robert described, we also provide a broad suite of uh, energy markets training. And uh, much of that as well is to help uh, our customers and clients keep track of the emerging net zero transition and and what it uh, means for them. So um, we'll hope to see you virtually or maybe face-to-face at some point too soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.